Hello and welcome to the Modern Fairy Sightings Podcast, where we listen to people's fairy encounters. But take heed, we're not talking about winged tinkerbells here. These are real fairies, real encounters that took people like you and I by surprise. Stay a while and hear their stories. My name is Joe Hickey Hall and I'm a folklore researcher. This podcast is of course free, but to ensure it continues, it does require your support. If you can support the show and its continued research, there are a number of tiers to choose from at patreon.com forward slash the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast. We have a Discord private discussion group and a monthly live chat, plus regular personal updates behind the scenes. With your support, I hope to dedicate more time to this research and producing fortnightly episodes. Alternatively, you can really help support by subscribing, rating and sharing your favourite episodes with your friends. Thanks. Hello dear listener, I hope you're well and hopefully getting a chance to catch up with loved ones. It's so important to feel connected, particularly in these times. Thank you for your emails and messages which I love receiving. Please keep them coming via scarletofthefay.com and tweet me at underscore remain underscore curious. A huge thank you to my amazing Curious crew on Patreon for all their generous and loving support and a special shout out to Joe, who's recently joined as part of the Weird Folk. We held our monthly Discord chat this week and it felt great to be able to discuss deep experiences with each other and exchange ideas. I found it really enlightening. And that's what this project is all about sharing encounters and perspectives and, in doing so, acknowledging that there is much more to this world than we generally learn about. In my view, opening to new ideas is what drives humanity forwards, so I say yes to more of this sort of thing. If you'd like to join us and support this project ever onwards, please head to patreon.com forward slash the Modern Fairy Sightings Podcast. This will help provide me with set research time and the space to write a book about all these and many more extraordinary encounters. In this episode, I speak to a fellow researcher of the strange, Thomas Fries. Thomas is an author, a storyteller and an artist. To date, he's written 11 books and 200 articles and much of his research is focused on collecting people's extraordinary experiences, including ghost stories and encounters with nature spirits, angels, fairies and multidimensional beings. In his storytelling role, Thomas visits schools and finds that many children want to tell him about their own strange experiences. We talk about this and he shares some of the many otherworldly encounters that he's collected over the years. You'll find links to Thomas's work on scarletofthefay.com. I hope you enjoy our chat and there's a bonus episode for the Curious Crew on Patreon in which we discuss Thomas's own fairy experiences and he also shares some very unnerving encounters with paranormal creatures known as black-eyed children. These beings are known for appearing at people's homes and vehicles and asking to be let inside. I hope you enjoyed the discussion and I'll be back at the end for a quick chat.
uh, I've always been interested for a really long time since I was a child in, in kind of the, the hidden world. And um, I remember, oh, we have something here called Scholastic Books for Children in School. Oh, yeah. And, stuff. and if you're a reader, and I was a really big reader, I was years ahead in, in reading, um, even in grade school. You know, I'd do the flashlight, you know, under the covers when I was supposed to be sleeping. So, but one book I got a hold of in Scholastic, which actually, believe it or not, so I'm going, I'm talking about the 1960s is still, it's still in print and it's still in Scholastic and it's called Strangely Enough. And um, wow. <laughs> it has stories of, um, you know, uh, the Bermuda Triangle and ghost and the devil's footprints, you know, burned into the snowy landscape going across in a straight line in New England and um, raining frogs and just anything weird and wonderful. Mm. So I just, you know, gobbled that up. And around the same time, you know, I've kind of noticed that um, around age 12 or 13, a lot of children, you know, kind of have this bump up in psychic awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was about that same time that I was awakened in the middle of the night for a really loud, you know, bump. But it was like someone took their fist and slammed it against the wall. And I grew up in a small Catholic family of eight. And um, so, you know, it could have been anyone, but, you know, it was middle of the night. And I didn't hear my dad like stumbling down the hallway, you know, like he had bumped into something and cussing or something. So I really was perplexed there, you know, I just was wide awake. Like, what was that? And my brother, Mike, uh, he, um, he, he was a year older, so he got the top bunk. So, and then sometimes <laughs> we're falling asleep, you know, we would talk. And if he said something I didn't like, if he was teasing me, I'd just kick up, you know, obviously I had that ability to kind of bump <laughs> myself so so I asked him I couldn't see him and I said in the dark I said Mike did you hear that and he said yes so I said okay <laughs> you know when you get to that age middle school and you start questioning things and wondering about things so I thought you know tomorrow I'm going to ask my mom about this so I prepared a question and the question for my mom I was going to ask is have you ever seen and heard anything you can't explain <laughs> and when I do when I tell ghost stories um, as a storyteller, you know, to kids, you know, we talk about this, we, yeah, you know, in whatever way that works for the setting, we talk about it. And, and I put these stories out there and the kids looking in my eyes, like, yeah, he knows, like, cause they're mm-hmm. just talk about, you know, things of experience. And they, of course they experience psychic reality, whatever you call it, metaphysical reality, as much as adults, if not more. Yeah. So anyway, but my mom is like Spock. She's very logical. She was a chemistry major in the 1940s. Um, when she graduated, she worked for the defense industry analyzing. They took pretty pictures of the Soviet Union and um, mm-hmm. she analyzed those. So um, she, she reads like mathematical string theory just for kicks. You know? <laughs> <laughs> very, she's a Virgo, Virgo, very. Okay, uh, I get you. I have, yeah. We have a Virgo in the family. <laughs> okay, alrighty, so, and her maiden name is Dettenwanger. So she raised us six kids with German precision. So I knew she'd say no. And I did. I went the next in the morning. I I said, Mom, have you ever seen or heard anything you can't explain? And she said no. And then I counted one, two, three beats. And she said, well, there was a time. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And she told me the first ghost story ever heard from someone. So not, you know, like Disney or, um, you know, uh, books or movies, you know, but, but, you know, someone that you knew and trusted. And particularly coming from my mom, who's so logical and, you know, really got a really strong left brain. Mm. Um, she was riding a horse up at the old Pioneer Cemetery on our land, my great aunt's land, and they were grandchildren of Irish immigrants. And um, there were um, 
like five sisters, I believe, five or six sisters. And one of them was my maternal grandmother. And that's a whole other story, Burns Mill. But um, so she saw a guy, uh, she came up on the horse, right, and saw a guy sitting on a tombstone. It wasn't our cemetery. It was a guy from um, England. He was a Dr. Smith. And he passed away and his widow set up this, you know, cute little, you know, wrought iron fence and, and, and the plot there. And mm-hmm. she returned to England. So um, she probably saw Dr. Smith. She said she saw a guy sitting there in a long gray beard wearing old time clothes. And she just happened to be riding a horse that is kind of a special needs horse. And that's another story. But um, um, the horse stumbled. She looked down for a moment to attend the horse. When she looked up again, uh, he had vanished. So there I was, you know, 12 years old, getting the straight you know, deal from my mom thinking, okay, there's something there. There really is. And over the years, um, getting to know the kindred spirits and then collecting ghost stories, always been fascinated. And then writing books of true ghost story encounters, and then not just ghosts, but encounters with spirits and angels, and then broadening out to, you know, the fairy folk and mm. witches and Sasquatch and multidimensional entities and just scoop up whatever I could. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, and, you know, just getting to know those people and looking in their eyes and just seeing them being very honest, you know, like, um, this is just a weird thing that happened. They weren't, you know, like trying to construct some kind of fake narrative. Um, So multiply that times, I don't know, between 600 and a thousand stories I've collected. And uh, so, you know, the anecdotal evidence is just, just so overwhelming, but I do sometimes, you know, getting back to the fairy folk, um, I do, you know, see with that third eye, you know, the fairy folk around them mm-hmm. or in their home or we'll talk about, you know, hey, um, if you get out in nature more or um, what particular environment is good for them? Is it water? Is it woods? And, you know, how the fairy folk are wanting to um, communicate with them or work with them. So that comes up in readings. Plus, I do have a few just kind of gentle little um, experiences more directly of my own the recent book, most recent, was uh, called Tree Spirits and Wood Wisdom. And so that does include some of the fairy encounters, you know, stories that people have shared with me. And I just feel so honored. And then I turn around and I tell them live, you know, either in talks at metaphysical events or hired as a storyteller in schools or libraries. Um, people are just so relieved when they see me talking about these things because they're just, oh, my gosh, I want to talk about what happened to me or... Um, I was telling animal ghost stories um, in this uh, kind of Appalachian part of Kentucky. Um, and this boy come up afterwards and said, Mr. Freeze, I sure like your ghost stories. He said, uh, I had a hamster and it died, but it not, you know, that wheel. So, you know, kids say the darndest things. <laughs> yeah, they do. It's great that you're going into schools and telling these stories as well. I'm really encouraged to to hear that schools are so open about explorations into these sorts of subjects. So I, I started becoming a self-discovered artist um, in the 80s, uh, doing the woodcrafts. And then when I moved from Santa Fe, New Mexico to Lexington, Kentucky, um, you know, I felt a shift that I wanted to teach art too. And so I became a teaching artist. What I would do is I had visual arts residencies and I would have each kid class for an hour. And then I would say, I wanted to practice storytelling. So I had 10 minutes left in the hour and I say, Hey kids, if you clean up, get everything cleaned up in five minutes in the last five minutes, I'll tell you a story. So I started practicing, you know, and picking stories that I liked and telling them, and it just really loved the immediacy 
and just how you can reach children just in such an incredible direct way. And I play guitar and harmonica and other instruments. So, I mean, it's just, it's just, you can skip past all kinds of blah, blah talking and just go straight to speak to their metaphoric, their right brain, you know, by throwing out a folk tale or, and I created more programs, including fairy tales and hit ghost stories. And I got to be known just locally, you know, as a storyteller and, so a school would find out about me or read, say, oh, you know, we got this author, this Kentucky author, you can come in and tell ghost stories. And of course, you know, October was a big time. Mm-hmm. So, um, so as I would come in and I would never identify myself as a psychic, I would just, you know, be the um, storyteller author and um, be very respectful, obviously, of other people's differences. And some mm-hmm. schools were very conservative locations. So, but People respond as they do on different levels. So one teacher or one librarian might be, well, those are just cute folk tales. Um, You know, even if I presented them and said, you know, these are true stories that people shared with me, they would just interpret that in their brain as like, oh, that's cute, Mr. Freeze, you know, because none of those are real. And I would just kind of be standing in front of them like, oh, okay. Um, (laughs) So people would take it wherever they were at and, um, they would just um, interpret that in their mind if they were grownups and, and didn't want to believe in that, you know. So, yeah, I, I would go in as a storyteller and as an author and as an artist. And then the serendipities would just happen where some children would just just they couldn't help. They had something to share. I was telling a different animal ghost story audience in middle school. The seventh grade girl came up afterwards and says, Mr. Freeze, I keep horses. One of them died and I still see it. You know, I'm not surprised by anything these days. And um, I was, you know, agreeing with her. And she said, no, you don't understand. I still have to give it feed and water and I can watch the feed and water go down. Gosh, yeah. Wow. So, so you know, the, these kids are just really just dying to um, talk about their experiences because yeah. no one wants to hear. You know, like the parents will say, you know, we're going to sell our house someday. So you're not going to, you know, you're not going to tell anyone in school that our house is haunted. <laughs> yeah, or, there's that aspect. So there's that incredible social pressure the editing this and and I've had it happen to me too I saw a thought form one time and it zoomed across from my solar plexus to this nice lady I was hanging out with um and my immediate conscious thought was I didn't see that um so you know it's so quick how we um self-edit because of that's kind of um filtered down from society so so yes I go into schools and libraries and um people that want to you know like grown-ups they'll come up afterwards with stories to share the the fairy stories are you know a smaller quantity they're almost like what ghost stories were 40 50 years ago yeah this is this is my my feeling too um yeah i i feel like it's kind of building up but it's still very much sort of on the sidelines isn't it you know there's so many different creatures out there you know other Mm -hmm. beings and you can, like a pachinko game, the metal balls come down and hit the different nails and fall in different categories, you know. Yeah. And so that's why some of my books are not just ghost stories. They're called ghost spirits and angels because we try to exercise that discernment, you know. Um, you know, I was touching the shoulder just then. Was it a ghost? Was it a spirit? Was it an angel? Mm-hmm. So even with the nature spirit category, you know, you get into these, are you splitting hairs? Like what, you know, like Springheel Jack and the Mothman, like, is that a nature spirit or is it a multidimensional entity or is it a cryptid or, you know, so, um, and the children are really fascinated by that. They just, 
you know, they've watched the ghost hunter shows. They know about EMF meters and thermal scanners and, you know, they know about all that. They're, they're, you know, consuming, you know, whether it's, you know, um, fantasy movies or, you know, reading the books or Harry Potter or whatever. So, um, it's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So I have always been fascinated with nature spirits from reading Finhorn, you know, uh, Dorothy McLean, um, talking to the nature spirits and um, Peter and Eileen Caddy and, you know, the Finhorn story. Um, and then reading the Edgar Casey material and um, he had some, you know, invisible friends or whatever. He had some, some nature spirit friends. And so, so as, as I read Met- metaphysical literature in the 1970s, I got really familiar with that. And I thought, I, you know, I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to see these guys, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, sometimes it takes a long trajectory for grownups Kids might be more immediate, um, but but grownups, I don't know. We just we have to work. We have to do all kinds of responsibilities and family things. And um, but over the decades, uh, it got to a point in the early two thousands for me that I just started reading about Man of the Woods and Bigfoot and things. I thought I just I want to make contact. I want you know I've already had this journey as a psychic reader. I've seen you know, read about auras, and then I started seeing auras, and I read about thought forms, then I saw a thought form, and I read about, you know, all these things in turn, and they all were, you know, as I earnestly and res- respectfully saw it, yeah. they were, you know, gifted to me, or, or at the very least, I would get like these, something from the other side, like, we're acknowledging you, like, here's a little, here's a little gift, you know, like, um, here's a synchronicity, here's an angel, yeah. yeah yeah and you know you're following the path and the thing is with those uh, types of um, experiences as well is that I think people don't realize how simple it is to be able to see an aura you know it's a very straightforward you can you can teach yourself to see auras um, I've, I've been in different workshops where people have played that out as an exercise and it is a, just a very straightforward thing to do but for for many people the idea of seeing an aura is it's is really kind of out there and and you know either impossible or something that they would need a special gift to be able to do but you don't you you can you just you know relaxing your eyes obviously it helps if somebody the person that you're looking at is against a, a white wall so that you can see the colors and the thought forms coming off of them. And there are different exercises where you can ask that person to think about somebody close to their heart and see how the colors change around in their aura. You know, this is it's possible to um, just to make that so much more available to people. Yeah, I, I agree. You're so right. And it, the ironic thing is um, we don't necessarily have a discussion about seeing versus perception and we mm-hmm. i think we think perception is receptive when a lot of times it's more projective and so um you know with auras um I, it was actually in church um and i was in my later 30s and i was going to episcopal church and i was in the choir and then so just in that really meditative time you know and watching the priest come up and at the pulpit and i was like what did i just look at a light <laughs> you know there's this neon blue around his head and then as he moved around it moved around with him and then I was like oh that's what it is so so I started noticing the auras and then I realized just what you're saying that 
it's actually always there. It's we see the auras, but we don't perceive them or whichever way you want to, um, you know, phrase that. Um, so I think we all physically see auras. We, that, in, that information energetically is coming to all of us, but we don't perceive them. And that gets back to the socialization again. And, um, you know, how we, um, I mean, something could be right in front of us. And literally, if we don't believe in it. So it gets down to that quote, uh, you switch it around. Some things have to be um, believed to be seen. <laughs> yeah. So I've written an 11th book. The nature spirits appear in um, definitely in two of my books. Yeah. And yeah, the older one is called um, More True Tales of Ghost Spirits and Angels. And that has a section of um, friends and family, um, their encounters with the fairy folk. And then the recent one is uh, Tree Spirits and With Wisdom. So that's focused okay. on tree spirits. And um, so there's some stories in there. And I'll put those links as well in my show notes for people so that they can go and get those. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. My friend, Teresa, uh, she's passed away, but we live together and she told me about her mom um, worked at the university. And in the 70s, there was a lot of, um, you know, things happening and changing. And uh, people were experimenting with marijuana and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, so someone evidently slipped some LSD in her coffee. Oh, my God. And, that's um, a nightmare. <laughs> that's well, such a bad thing to do to anyone. I don't, But I guess back then, maybe it was just like part and parcel. But, uh. Right, right. Like, here's some brownies, right? So um, I, and I'm just totally not into drugs at all myself. I have to be convinced like once every five years, just to even take some aspirin. I mean, um, I should say, I don't, I, it's not, it's not the, um, that she, she took it. It's more that it wasn't her choice to take it. I mean, it's, you know, the, any right. kind of trip, it's like, you know, right. surely it has to be your choice to decide to go on a trip or not. Cause sometimes it's just really not a good idea to be, <sighs> Yeah. you know tripping if you're in some kind of you know yeah. emotional state or whatever so but yeah right. I accept like in the 60s and 70s the drugs were free-flowing and maybe this right. is just something that happened <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's not like she was on an ayahuasca retreat and yeah uh, yeah there was the protective space and the preparation and everything but but it is interesting I just want to mention what Teresa uh, mm. said that she saw and um, the fun because they're very very Irish um, Teresa's family and trace back to um, literally like um, uh, her ancestor, you know, um, did um, surveying work with George Washington and served in the Revolutionary War and all this. But they, they, the Clarkson is the last name and they came from Ireland and actually have a banshee story um, from that family that occurred in Oklahoma City, you know, because it's a family <laughs> ghost came over from Ireland. But um, Teresa said that her mom said, uh, you know, she drank the funny coffee. And uh, she said, when I saw the little green men dancing, I knew it was time to go home. 
Yeah. So, you know, so there's that um, chemical that, you know, opened up, you know, obviously unprepared, but, um, but, you know, yeah. what she saw was, was the little, little, you know, fairy guys. And I thought mm. that was really interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. My sister Jane lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And this story is in my book, Tree Spirits and Wood Wisdom. And um, she tells about a certain area outside Santa Fe, where she loves to go uh, take walks in nature. And there's some homes out in the area, but there's also some open space. And it's that typical New Mexico kind of, um, uh, you know, f- uh, environment, you know, with mm. the, um, you know, the cactus and um, actually Santa Fe is 2000 feet higher than Denver. So it's different than like a wow. Tucson kind of desert. Yeah, it's uh, it's called high desert. And there's pinyon, which is uh, the, the native pine and juniper. And it's, you know, kind of rocky and sandy a bit, but it is high desert. She well, you go down in these little um, drainage places that are often, you know, like dry riverbeds, and in Spanish they're called arroyos. And um, she was winding, following the gravel road, just kind of coming around a juniper or pinon or whatever, and um, she literally had to hit hit the brakes in this arroyo. Um, and that's one place that people can trek easily across the land is is in the arroyo because it's usually flatter and just kind of sandy soil. And as long as there's hopefully not, you know, some wall of water coming down from the rain in the mountains, um, it's a safe place to go across the land easily. And anyway, this figure just ran across the arroyo. Um, She had to slam on the brakes and she said, he just like had these clothes were like, they were like sticks, you know, all these sticks draped, uh, you know, on his outfit. And uh, just as soon as she saw him run across the road, he just disappeared. Mm-hmm. So interesting. I, I've actually seen one of these myself. Um, and the, the one that we saw was running as well. It was running really fast um, and it disappeared. But I, w- I was with two other people at the time. And I do find those fascinating. And obviously to hear from um, our guests that we that we had on on that particular episode I was so amazed to hear his story because I'd never spoken well I actually I've spoken to one other guy um, that has seen something that he described as a tree man it sounded slightly different to what I saw what I saw was definitely like a stick man Um, but it was so great to speak to him and I didn't know that he was going to talk about that um he just began telling me about this experience I, I didn't know what it was and then he talked about that and it was just ah uh, this it just it really does help that that validation um when you've seen something I mean obviously for me I had um two other people with me at the time and it was it was bizarre we we turned to each other and we were laughing we said did you see that you know through all three of us saw it um but to you know, I, I tried to research more about these types of beings, and I've never really been able to find very much, um, hardly anything at all, actually, of, of encounters, more kind of folklore, I suppose, and, and then popping up in um, uh, fantasy and literature. Um, so to hear someone else talk about their experience. So this is really great to hear, actually, that your sister also saw one of these. The, the other guy that I spoke to was in, I think he was in Brazil. 
so they definitely seem to be around on on that continent and they're certainly in and around britain because i've seen one and so has um you know the other guy that i spoke to he was based in britain as well so that is interesting isn't it right and uh, as i've listened to your amazing podcast i um you know uh, heard a little bit of the you know thoughts or discussion about um you know, uh, do we have all of these kinds of creatures in all lands, you know, more or less. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I really believe that they are just all over. And and so it's not, you know, just uh, limited, even, you know, like if you read or get into the Bigfoot uh, Sasquatch information, you know, it just mm -hmm. seems like they really are just about everywhere. And, um, and I did do some travels in Alaska, and I met some folks that um, had um, one lady that had some nature encounters nature spirits encounters and also uh well i just love it all it's you know bigfoot's ufo whatever it's all great <laughs> me too <laughs> um, but um but my friend that i met in um, alaska and this is um you know hopefully going to be you know in in one of my future books that focus on nature spirits but um she actually as a child she grew up near fairbanks and um she encountered um, just like some gnome guys that, that just, you know, were really fascinated with her. They, she, I guess, had like long, you know, pretty blonde hair and they, they were just, you know, thought she was just the cat's meow and they invited her, uh, down into their little, uh, there was like a wooden, you know, level with the ground door that she had never noticed because, um, uh, she grew up, uh, you know, with other siblings and they would play in this, this one area outside their home and it was, you know, kind of had some rural aspect, but anyway, um, they just invited her to, to have some tea. <laughs> and um, she was just a child. And so she went down and there were wooden steps and um, the one guy, you know, so it's like a rudimentary kind of kitchen um, and, um, you know, a table and chairs to sit on. And um, they were excited to have her visit and one of them put on some water for tea um, and they were just fascinated with her. And I think she was pretty intrigued with them. And um, so they said, well, you, you know, you've got to stay for lunch. <laughs> and so they started discussing like, you know, what they were going to go get, I guess, for greens or whatever to forage for something to eat. And then she said they got into a spirited discussion. Um, they both went up the stairs to go outside to um you know like they couldn't decide who was going to get to stay with her and who was going to go okay. um you know to forage and they but they were stuck in that uh, debate and they just went up and were still talking about it and then after a while sitting down there by herself she thought well i probably ought to go home now <laughs> and uh, she didn't feel like socially you know um you know kind of a forced to you know like stay there and, and be social mm -hmm. with them and you know uh and really it was probably a good thing that she um mm -hmm. that she went on up the stairs and um and she went back home and she told her mom she says her mom just you know totally didn't believe anything she she presented and uh, she said she never ever saw that that wooden um door you know that was level with the ground she never saw that again wowzers how old was she do you know I think she was fairly young um I'm gonna guess like maybe about five years old Mm, yeah that that's kind of what I imagined as well and and um I mean but I'd love to know whether 
you know what was happening in her life at the time as well and whether whether that kind of marked anything whether it was her relationship with nature or anything else but that's a really powerful experience isn't it and it'd be great to know what they looked like did she ever draw anything I think she wanted to sometime Mm. but I'm not sure if she did I'll have to check on that Mm. um but there's that whole there's that whole kind of going back to mum and dad and and saying this is what happened and they're saying oh yes dear you know because they (laughs) for them it's just an imaginative play um and it's quite kind of scary actually I mean to think um you know that it seems like they were pretty friendly and but there's there's the whole you know the huge amount of of folklore around the warning to never ever eat anything offered to you by the fairy folk because if you do you can never leave them so I wonder how she feels about that now being an adult and 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 whether she has children herself and how she feels about that whole thing she does have uh, now you know adult grown-up children and um, I don't know you know if they've ever shared anything the thing about um you know, it's the thing about the children, you know, and they interact with adults, you know, about those things. I do have another story that um, someone shared with me when I lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and um, I call it the fairy ball, um, but it's not a, like a dance. It's, um, do you remember the little round chime spheres, the metal balls? Um, seemed like they were around the 1990s. So maybe it was on a chain, you could wear it around your neck. But if you shake them, you hear these little like chimes go on. Okay, yeah. Um, the story is from... Um, a lady that lived near where I worked in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I worked in this really old area of Santa Fe called the Barrio de Analco, which is really ancient and where the oldest church in the United States is. This adobe church was catty corner from where I worked. And then there were people, in fact, the people next door I made friends with, they had ghostly stuff happening, just, you know, feet from where I worked. So there were two ladies a couple doors down that lived in this old adobe home and they had a bed and breakfast by night, you know, usually for grown-ups, whatever. And then during the day, they watched children. It's like a daycare during the day. So Joanne told me this story. I made friends with the folks there. And she knew that I was really fascinated with intriguing stories. So um, she said there were seven-year-old girl twins that uh, came by day for the daycare. And one day, one of them arrived. They had received this little cute little gift. And it was the little fairy ball, you know, that makes mm-hmm. the pretty chime kind of sound when you shake it. And the girl said, you know, look what I got. And Joanna said, well, do you know what that is and what to do with it? And the girl said, no. So she said, well, it's a fairy ball and you go out into our garden and you shake it and the fairies come around. And the girl said, okay. So, um, um, you know, they all got busy with their day to kind of describe the, the back of that house to help you understand the story. Um, so uh, it's maybe, oh, I'd say about uh, at least 50 feet from the Santa Fe River, which we would probably in Kentucky just call a creek. So it's a really small thing that had some mountain uh, snow melt runoff. And um, and the yard was like a grassy area, but close to the house, there were these terrace gardens made with um, rock walls on the side. And the rocks were those really soft round you know, like river stones, the big, yes. yeah. So just kind of um, paint that picture. So, um, so the kids could play around and all that in the garden and there were pretty flowers and everything. And so they both got busy with their day at the end of the day, the kids were lining up 
to um, have their custodial adults come pick them up. And um, the girl walked up to Joanne and, you know, kind of held the fairy ball and said, well, they did what you, what you told me and no fairies showed up. <laughs> so, you know how it is with a grown up, they might say something, you know, very sympathetic, like try to cushion the blow of the fantasy, yeah, you know, yeah. not, not happening. But the girl interrupted and she said, but a hand came out of the wall holding a very big fairy ball. Oh, wow. <laughs> Amazing. And I think about uh, the tarot cards where each suit begins with an arm, a hand coming out mm. of the clouds holding the symbol for that suit. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, and that girl, she asked for something. She wanted and she asked for something. She had an expectation. And I think they gave her even really more than um, that she asked for. It was a very powerful metaphor. Was it a physical ball that she walked away with or was it something that she observed? It's something that she observed. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I love how children are so open. You know, they're often so open to these things. There's another story from a child grown up. Um, this is a gentleman that was from Ohio and he's written a number of books. His name is Ted Andrews. He wrote a book called Animal Speak. That okay. a lot, yeah, a lot of folks are familiar with where you look up your connection with an animal, maybe a sighting and, and you see what it means. Okay, so, so he said when he was a kid, so maybe this was in the 1950s, wherever he grew up, there were some woods there and kids loved to go to the woods and there was a creek down there. And uh, he called it Fort Apache, you know, everything in the movies and TV then was cowboys and Indians. And so mm. you can imagine, you know, a child just creating their own little burrow in there and having favorite spots in the woods. And we did that uh, when I grew up in suburban St. Louis and at my great aunt's farm. So Ted Andrews said that he would often see this girl in the woods. And um, I don't recall him describing how she was dressed, but she always had a squirrel at her feet. And she would be like peering around a tree, kind of smiling at him and giggling. Mm -hmm. And um, like he would try to talk to her and she would just giggle and run down the path. He asked her, because she seemed to be his age, you know, how come I don't see you in school? And she just kind of would laugh and giggle. One time he went into the woods and she was kind of sad and mopey, it seemed, and down at the creek and her squirrel wasn't with her. So he mm -hmm. tried to talk to her and tried to talk to her and finally she brightened up, stood up, gave him a kiss on the cheek and said, I'll always remember you, Ted Andrews. Oh. And that's the last time he saw her. But he said two days later, the bulldozers came. Oh, no. I just got an awful shiver down my spine. Oh, that's just, oh. Oh. Uh, God, what are humans like? It's so sad. and oh, it Makes me sick. And, but, you know, years later, he just figured out that she was, you know, a tree spirit, not like, of nature, not like the, yeah. yeah, not like the spirit of the oak tree, but the attending, you know, the spirits that attend to the tree sort of thing. Mm. Right. Yeah, that's so beautiful and so sad. God. Yeah. So sad. It does feel like she was obviously connected with nature. There's some kind of nature spirit there. And who knows how many children have, you know, those interesting stories. And like you said, it's mm -hmm. kind of discernment. If they make that friend in the woods, is it, you know, like a pioneer ghost? Was it a human spirit? Because um, they do have some stories of invisible friends that 
the children had like you know if the woods like they would play with them and then walk back from their their home into the woods and so there is that notion of trying to tease out you know is it a is it a nature spirit that appears kind of human or is it a human ghost or mm. or some kind of multi-dimensional human looking spirit that's that's not you know connected to nature but yet you know is there um it's really really fascinating um my it friend is. as you say it's hard to work out exactly you know what category we 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 feel <laughs> we you know like to like to put them in and uh you know sometimes sometimes we just can't and and we just don't know but it's still really wondrous and fascinating but I like you you know I I hear these stories and I think oh well you know maybe it was this maybe it was that maybe it was a multi-dimensional being and um I've, I've personally been listening a lot to um there's a Howard Hughes podcast called that um, it's just called Unexplained. Howard Hughes, Unexplained. It's absolutely brilliant, and there I think he's got about six hundred episodes. So, the, and I've only recently found it. So I've been kind of um, trawling through them all, uh, picking, you know, the odd one here and there to listen to, and they are all absolutely amazing stories from people. And it sounds like you'd be interested in it too, because it's it's you know UFOs and it's I haven't listened to any on fairies yet, interestingly, but um, uh, multi-dimensional beings, um, Bigfoot, and a little bit, a little bit about the Loch Ness monster featured recently. I, you know, often when I'm listening to that, I'm thinking, oh, well, what could it have been? This could it have been that? But I, I find it interesting also that, um, so we know how open children are, and I know you mentioned earlier that um, believing is seeing. But then sometimes people, adults, will, with no interest in fairies, as we've you know heard before, will have these extraordinary experiences. And I'm sure you've you've heard that from people too, where you know they're just kind of going about their business and something happens. Have you heard a lot of of stories about fairies like that from people? Right, that's a good point. Actually, I do, and I'd like to share that one. Uh, my friend Ruben, I don't know that he would have been um you know expecting or seeking you know contact with the fairy folk he was just he was taking a walk in a local park we, we have some nice parks in louisville and one of them's called cherokee park i i wonder should i just read this from the book or try to oh yes please okay maybe i'll just read it in his own words because um i think in, in just kind of paraphrasing it it just might be too short <laughs> no that that's great thank you okay so my friend Ruben is such an amazing guy a Cuban Cuban American from Florida and um, uh, he's passed away but he's had a, a couple of interesting experiences um, so, some really powerful UFO encounters in Florida but anyway um, mm. uh, this is called man of the woods one experience of interest came from a walk I took in Cherokee Park in Louisville, Kentucky in the mid-1990s. I remember there was no color. It was way beyond fall, the dead of winter. As I walked through the woods, it was stick and bare branches. I went along the walking and bike path through the park. I headed up the hill to Hogan's Fountain. After I had passed the little retreat area where the basketball court and fountain are, I went further into the park. The path forms a large S-curve going downhill. I had gone through the first half of the curve and I came to the wooded area, which is in front of the homes that line that area of the park. 
at that time, I kept almost a running walk, keeping up a pretty good pace. Being a walker, one doesn't want to stop because you'll lose the momentum, the burning of calories. So I have a tendency whenever I see someone while walking to give them a quick hand wave, but to keep on going. That would keep me from getting into conversation. As I came into the straightaway, I looked directly ahead to see a figure. He was in the thick brush, sort of rising upward. He had sort of a brown jacket that peeled off. The figure was totally unclothed. At first, I had a strange feeling as I looked at this person that he was looking directly at me and had a slight smile on his face. He had very curly hair. To, so, to say that he did or didn't have horns, I couldn't swear to it. But if he had horns, they weren't large, but rather thumb size. I ignored him thinking that it was just a winner's flasher. I continued on my brisk walk. As I came down the S-curve, I started mentally and emotionally processing exactly what it was that I did see. I began to realize that the man in the woods may not have been what I first thought he was. It dawned on me that he might not have really been a flasher, but more of a pan type figure, someone from the forest world. His jacket was long. If he was a flasher, he would have popped it open. But in this case, the man was taking off the jacket. I wondered if he saw someone going, if, excuse me, I wonder if I saw someone going into transition from one form of reality into another. I've never experienced that ever again in any time or any place where I've lived in the country. And I've had woods of my own, went down into them frequently, and I've never had any other experience of that nature, whether flasher or pan. Mm, yeah, that is, that's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, that's really great. And I don't know whether you ever got to speak to him about that, but did he notice sense within himself when he encountered that being? I just wonder whether he felt it in his body or had any kind of sense about it at the time. Yeah, he told it to me in person. And then um, I can't remember if this was a transcription of an audio recording or he had written it down and emailed it to me, but he was really fascinated by it. It just kind of really, like, like I said, not looking for anything at all, just taking a walk in the park. And, um, but the odd thing of it is that Hogan's Fountain was uh, a couple paid for that to be put there and they donated it. They commissioned a sculptor and it was the early 1900s and Hogan's Fountain, I think that's the name of the, um, you know, the last name of the couple that commissioned it, but it was actually a sculptor who the sculpture is of Pan. In, uh, I mean, and this Pan, is in the park. That's sorry. That, yeah, that It's like right close to where he saw the figure. There is a Greek god Pan known as a faun in Roman mythology. There is a sculpture that everyone knows in the park of, of this bronze figure of Pan. Mm. And did he refer to that when he was telling you about it, that he, that that struck him too, or? or I, don't it... I don't recall, um, but he knew, I mean, he knew it in general, but I didn't know if he was putting that together in some kind of meaningful way. Mm. Mm. But it's just right there for us, you know. To... Yeah. 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 And it's often those those walks alone um and it can be in local parks it doesn't it doesn't have to take place in some kind of far off nature reserve either it can just be very very simple i mean these beings these nature spirits are all around us they're within even the realms of our gardens um and just local parks they are around and and that sense of communication can take place 
often as you are communing with the land in your own way, you know, sort of looking at how bare the trees are and noticing the colours and the, the vibe of the place um, and sort of drawing yourself into that world in some way, you know, just subconsciously. And then something happens like that. So that's really lovely, isn't it? Oh, I love it. And um, I have one other uh, I could read if you like. Sure. And this is from, is this from the book uh, entitled Tree Spirits and Wood Wisdom? Or is it a different book? Uh, this is a different book, The More True Tales of Ghost Spirits and Angels, but it's in the, the fairy mm. section. And this lady has had a number of experiences. She lives locally here in, in, in the Louisville area. And um, she has had a lot. She has had people have seen her doppelganger mm-hmm. um and yeah she's had all kind of counters but this is called brownies in the basement <laughs> okay okay so um her name is beth and i'll just read it it's it's, it's short um so here, here she goes i have a feeling that brownies lived in our laundry room in the basement i always sensed a playful yet slightly disturbing influence down there my friend mark and Aunt Pat were both somewhat afraid to go in the basement, and I've had the lights turn out on me when I was down there alone. Of course, brownies are really benevolent, although they can be mischievous. I also think some lived in the attic closet in my bedroom. I heard they provide creative inspiration, and I know I did all my best artwork in the early morning hours in my bedroom. Another fairy spirit once paid me a surprise visit. I was alone in the house, sitting in my rocking chair in the living room. When something suddenly hit the back of my chair with enough force to knock me forward out of it, I I got up as fast as I could and looked down the hall to see who knocked my chair. I was delighted to see an approximately two foot high brownish green man covered in leaves and wearing a little olive colored cap running down the hallway, his little arms pumping as hard as they could. By the time he reached the end of the hallway, he disappeared. Ah, that's lovely. That's great, isn't it? And, you know, I think also thinking about being in the um, rocking chair and rocking back and forth, that also may, that's that's the kind of action that may uh, drop you into an altered state as well, you know, being rocked. Oh, totally. That's a great point. And it's yeah. just almost like an archetypal image. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, yeah, what we humans do to just kind of chill out and go into a zone. Yeah, yeah. But that's so funny. Um, There, you know, she's right that um, brownies, I'd say a laundry room is maybe a typical place that a brownie might hang out because they, they do, they can help with housework. And as she says, they can very quickly turn and there've been some great stories told about these experiences over the years. And I'll put a link to one or two um, in the show notes, because I do f- find those particularly interesting and quite scary because when they turn, it turns to very much sort of poltergeist energy. Right. So, uh, right. Yeah. If they want to, for whatever their rationale is, they want to, um, you know, um, cause a little, you know, stir things up. Yeah, I think it's, well, the, the, um, the two occasions I'm thinking of, uh, one of them was in the 1990s and that was in the UK um, and it was a family who bought a house and they, the, the owners of the, the current owners of the house said to them, oh, 
you know there are some brownies in this house and they help you with housework so you know these this couple coming in thought right okay you know they they weren't really into fairies or anything like that just thought it was just a a silly thing that had been mentioned but uh, when they moved in they did find that they were helped by you know while um, while the wife was at work washing would be taken out of the washing machine and hung up and uh, things like you know, bits and pieces being put away and prepped in the kitchen and um, all this sort of thing. And so she was quite amazed by it, apparently, and which she would be, of course. But then after a while, I think something happened, something triggered um, some sort of dissatisfaction with, with the wife kind of got fed up with these helpful brownies. And um, she showed her displeasure. And at that point, it switched to the brownies creating chaos essentially in the house and um she had i remember that jam was smeared into the carpet and things like washing powder poured somewhere where it shouldn't be whether it was on food or something like that i can't quite remember now but um they had a lot of hassle effectively from from the brownies so it all went really badly wrong and they had to move house so that was one so that that to me sounds like uh miscommunication let's say (laughs) 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 that maybe that situation could have been handled better if perhaps she had respected them it sounds like she dishonored them in some way um the other example I'm thinking of is too old and I can't remember my memory is really really bad I can't remember the names but it was these two old ladies that lived in a fairly big old house I don't know if it was a manor house or something like that and um, you know they were getting on and they had this fairy they called it a silky a silky of is it Harrington Hall or something something hall anyway so this silky would help them around the house help them out with housework um, and generally be benevolent um, helpful fairy and um, the person that was telling this story said that they moved away from the area and then they came back some years later and the old ladies had passed on um, and there was now a man that was living there but he was having a complete nightmare because Um, He was just getting, again, just a lot of disruption and hassle happening in the house. Um, Lots of poltergeist type activity again. Um, And I'm not sure that he stuck around either. So um, I think while relationships are, you know, are running well, that's fine. But if something tips into, as I say, miscommunication or are falling out in some way then uh you're going to get the the rough edge of things so uh yeah she's she's right to be mindful about those brownies but that's that's really great was that the only time she ever saw one of them then let's see she has a story about um a fairy hound oh yeah it, it being a warning um and actually, oh, someone else has a story in that category too. Um, so, so the first one I'm talking about is Beth. And uh, the second one I just remember now is another storyteller author here in Louisville area. And she's um, a bit older, but her first name is Roberta. 
and her story is pretty amazing. Um, I could kind of try to paraphrase it. It might be in one of her books, but it is truly amazing because it is some kind of spirit dog. Um, you know, but, you know, once again, do you put that in the nature spirit category or, mm. um, or some kind of, um, you know, dog appearing, you know, spirit, but mm. Beth had one that was a warning. And I think it's in this book, I could read it to you. I was going to mention one other thing as we we're talking about the house spirits. One thing I've noticed from psychics that go on calls to deal with, you know, what's really happening in, in this person's house. You know, a lot of us, I think a general society thinks, well, it's either ghostly or not, um, or it's versions of ghosts when sometimes it turns out that it's an unhappy nature spirit that's in the attic or the basement. And it's not not a haunting kind of ghost spirit at all. It's it's something that's non-human. So that's a whole other topic. And I just want to mention really quick, um, this I got some of these ladies' books. They're really amazing. She's German, and she talks a lot about um, house spirits um because they moved into i think it was a family connection like an old mill um in germany and so it was the she's i guess intuitive or whatever and she was understanding and communicating with the um the spirits that maintain the physicality of that mill and the house and uh her name let's see the book is nature spirits and what they say 2004 I can oh maybe... i've heard of this okay maybe i could take a picture of it i've got it referenced in the back of my book um, it was originally a German, and then it was published by Florist Books in Edinburgh. Um, mm -hmm. And her name is Verena Stale von Holstein, or have you pronounced that? Um, mm -hmm. She talks about what you're referring to is that communication issues, you know, we're cohabitating with mm. <laughs> other humans, like you mentioned in your house, you know, in a tight space and um how's it all going to work? And then, you know, the teenager plays the music really loud. And what are you going to do about that? But sometimes it's the ghost that we have to have a talk to, like, you know, I need my keys, you need to make my keys, appear again, <laughs> you know, because I've got to go drive somewhere. Or, you yeah. know, leave, leave my child alone, because you're scaring him or her. I mean, yes. whatever it is, direct it, communication is the key. <laughs> exactly. Respectful, so, respectful, direct communication. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a whole topic anyway. Okay, so let's see. Um, Beth, so she was walking with her sister and um, they encountered the fairy hound, this, this dog that really was not physical, but you know, at first you can't tell. But anyway, so here it is. Uh, legends are told in Ireland and Scotland of the large black fairy hounds. These dogs are enormous and shaggy, about the size of a cow or calf, and are generally feared as harbingers of death. This is a story of one that most likely saved the lives of four people right here in Jefferson Town. So we call it J-Town. That's where I live. It's kind of Louisville grew up around J-Town. Mm -hmm. My sister and I were left alone while the rest of our family was out of town with relatives. During the day, we decided to walk her twin daughters around the block in the two-seater stroller she had for them. This big blue stroller had seats one behind the other and was terrible to try and push with the weight of the two toddlers in it. We managed pretty well, however, most of the way around the block, although at times we came close to cussing as the wheel simply refused to turn or roll correctly. When we got on Waterson Trail in front of the car wash, an old black car full of rowdy young men pulled up on Shelby Street. They began to harass my sister and me. We were getting rather frightened when luckily 
a lady pulled up behind them honking her horn to get them to move so she could continue driving her car. They pulled around the corner and drove on down Watterson Trail. My sister and I kept walking, glad that the woman had pulled up, but because for some reason, the carload of boys was far more frightening than the usual bunch of teenagers out for a joyride. We rounded the corner on Bluebird Lane and continued talking to each other as we strolled with the girls. When we got about three quarters of the way down the road, I noticed an enormous black shaggy dog running wildly back and forth across the back of an open field to our left. I was born with a desperate fear of dogs, but and that thankfully our family pet had helped me overcome about 14 years earlier. I did not want to sound like I was still afraid of dogs, but the one I was currently watching was the size of a small horse and it was running like mad. Finally, regardless of what she might think of me, I told my sister, you know, I'm not afraid of dogs anymore, but that one has me a little nervous. My sister agreed, noting that if it came at us, the stroller would definitely be too hard to push quickly um, enough and we might not be able to shield the girl's bodies with her own if it took after us. Just as we turned the stroller around, we were shocked to see the boys in the big black car lying in wait for us, just a little <laughs> further down the road to the right. We were able to turn and go to the other direction without them ever seeing us, thanks to the enormous fairy dog that, quote, frightened us first. My sister and I remained convinced that had we not seen the dog and had it not been so huge and acting so crazy, we would have never have turned around and we would have been at the mercy of the young men who decided to stalk us that day. We firmly believe that the fairy dog saved our lives. No, that's that's a great story. And thank you for, for sharing that. There's lots of um, stories about black dogs as well. Um, the folklorist Mark Norman has written extensively about black dogs. And I'm hearing about them a lot um, and in fact, um, I hope to share a story on the podcast from somebody that I've been speaking to um, who had a really amazing encounter with one. And in fact, I did. And it is episode 14 and it's called Guardian of the Mountain, if you want to check that one out. But I'm also listening to podcasts um, that talk a lot about black dogs as well. And, and the Howard Hughes one, there's a really great episode called, I think it's Beasts of Britain. And I can't remember the author, unfortunately, but I'll, I'll try and link that um, on the show notes and, and to you. But it is really fascinating. These beasts are seen regularly. And like you say, sometimes they do um, appear in a protective manner. They, they, they do appear with some kind of protective job to do. Um, so that is really fascinating. And, so, and they do seem to, other, other times, they seem to be some kind of manifestation of nature as well in the same way that fairies are. Mm. So there's a lot, there's a lot there. Right, right. Um, Roberta's story, she might be fascinating to, um, to interview, um, because it's just so amazing. She could tell it herself, but basically she grew up on a rural farm, rural community in the depression in Kentucky. And um, she's had all kinds of experiences. Um, she had an African-American man um, appear to save her when a tornado came in um, and he got her to lie down in a ditch and be protected. And, and then the tornado passed and he was, he was gone. He was just there to, to help her. And, and she mentioned that when she got home to her parents safely. And, and they said, well, don't you know that he just died? Oh, um, 
so Roberta has all kinds of stories and she is a professional storyteller. She's amazing with a lot of ghost story collection books, but when the old days, you know, there wasn't, um, you know, you couldn't turn on the TV um, to, to get a really, you know, get the Doppler radar to see when a storm was coming in. So literally the teacher would just sometimes just look out the window and send the kids home. Like you've got to go mm. right now. And they all walk to school. And um, so that's how I remember it. But anyway, um, she probably has the best version of the story, but basically I think it was her and her cousin were walking together back from the school. They'd been um, turned away. And I guess there was storming and raining all around because the creek was up. And um, they had one of those uh, logs going across the creek. They had to get across that was like in lengthwise. It was cut in yeah. half. Yeah, like with an ads. And um, so you would walk over it. But the water was up, you know, touching, you know, like almost to the top of the um, cut uh, log bridge. And... Uh, they suddenly noticed as they were about to cross this dog that was blocking their path. Um, I, it possibly might've been black. I could check her story, but um, a cousin wanted to run across and the dog kind of blocked and kind of barked at them when they tried to go across. And Roberta said, well, you know, my grandmother, you know, I think it was a Irish background. She always told me about the spirit dogs or whatever, you know, the ghost dogs or the, you know, that they're a warning. And so Roberta refused to cross. And as they were talking about it, just then this wave of water came down and swept away the footbridge. Oh my goodness. Wow. Gosh. And, um, yeah. Of course the dog was no longer there, mm. but that. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Thank you. It's a great story. Wow. Yeah, it does seem to be happening quite a lot. It is very interesting, isn't it? Right. It's and you wonder, you know, the dogs are usually generally generally a pretty approachable critter, you know, in terms of, you know, our mm -hmm. connection with them over the millennia. So, you know, if a spirit wanted to appear in a relatively safe form, you know, rather than like some human form, you know, that's you wonder if if they're just choosing an option, like an angel, like an angel. Yeah. Can appear not in glory, but just as like, you know, a fellow human in regular clothes. I had an angel encounter and um, he just appeared in regular clothes. Well, well I mean, if you, even if you think of, um, you know, ancient Egypt, you had Anubis, who was the, um, who symbolized protection. So Anubis was the dog that kind of is laying down with his paws up front and his ears, um, you know, pert ab above and, and he he denoted protection so that's so it seems like dogs maybe maybe it's about protection maybe of place or people so if it's of a place then um maybe they're scaring people away maybe if it's people then they're warning them i don't know i'm just throwing ideas out there but uh they do seem to have some kind of connection with protection going back some time so um Mm. Oh, it's great stuff. I mean, it's this is this is the thing about this this subject. It is so wide, and and it's like the more you look into it, the wider it becomes. And and there are so many different experiences out there. It just seems like every family has at least one story to tell. You mm. know, if it's not in their generation, then it's generation or two back that they're able to share with the family and I just love that I really love that it's, and then you know as you say there's a certain um stories about particular places so it sounds like it's quite a rich 
in folklore where you're from and and it sounds as if there are lots of storytellers around sharing these tales which is brilliant oh thanks right i i do believe that's so both um what's presented as true stories and then the folklore and of course you know there's the native americans mm-hmm. you know the first nations and they have their you know tradition um but it, it does get interesting like you said the more you dive into it like because some of the ufo stories um they almost sound like you know the children are playing with the little the little people like the fairies but yeah um, but then there's this connection with this spaceship too mm-hmm. um so it, it does get to be just a wonderful um um puzzle um of discernment <laughs> yeah oh gosh well Thank you very much, Thomas. It's been really, really interesting to chat to you. It's nice to speak to another researcher that is looking into all of this and is just as excited as I am about all these possibilities. And, you know, we could just go on forever, actually, because it's so bloody interesting. It's like we say, you kind of scratch around looking at this particular thing that you're interested in, but then, oh, but this is really interesting too. And you end up, you know, you lose yourself in this world, which I personally love. And just like you, I know you mentioned right back at the beginning that you used to have um, that scholastic book. What was it called again? Strangely Enough. Strangely Enough. Okay, so I always think about my book that I had, which was called, it was called Fascinating Facts. And it was a big yellow book with uh, sort of recycled pages inside. So it was a a kind of soft cover. And I think think it had just been bought from a supermarket or something. But it was absolutely brilliant. And it had all sorts of things in it. It had your Bigfoot. It had, you know, the green children of Woolpit. Um, It had ghosts. And I remember one story about these green patches of earth where people would just disappear and they were never seen again. And just, you know, the um, the Marie Celeste, all sorts of mysterious goings on in in the world, and I absolutely loved that book. I don't know what happened to it. I think my mum chucked it in a jumble sale or something, which is tended to be what she did with some of my things. But um, <laughs> but that it really does stir. It stirs you, stirs you as a child because. I feel like we kind of, we know, or we do know that this world is a lot more mysterious than we're told. We know it. We know it innately. And uh, we are, you know, maybe given space to explore that as a child, then not so much as an adult. If you're asking questions, people might label you in a certain way if you're into certain things. But as you say, the interest in ghosts has definitely expanded and people are really, you know, there's loads of TV programs about ghost hunting and all of that kind of thing now. And even the um, that new series that, uh, is it called Unexplained on um, Netflix? Oh, Unsolved Mysteries. They also made Stranger oh, Things. Oh, Stranger some... Things, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. I, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty media impaired, but I um, okay. hung, out with, I hung out with a lady who, who um, we would watch that together and it was pretty fascinating. And, you know, it's like sooner or later you get into, you know, portals or, you know, that kind of um, gateway kind of things. Um, it almost seems inevitable. Even Star Trek back in the 60s, you know, it's when in doubt, you know, we've got a portal here or whatever they called it. Um, well, um but yeah, um, I just want to say, um, I told 
ghost stories um, the February before last, it was right before the shutdown, the pandemic shutdown at a grade school. And this fifth grade boy, he, he had evidently watched very closely to know, to know exactly when he could find me out in the hallway without anyone else being there. You know, cause I, I was working with tons of kids and it was two full weeks, you know, Monday through Friday. And I had brought my ghost story books. I told some ghost stories, but we were also doing all kinds of artwork. And, um, but he made sure that it was just me and him out in the hallway. And basically he said, you know, I see dead people. So obviously I tried to be very supportive in listening to him and, you know, giving him some, you know, encouragement. Um, but kids yeah. are just desperate to find someone to talk to about that, particularly, I think the cohort of children that, you know, we might be in where we have some gifts and we are, you know, kind of almost our soul is already, you know, going to be oriented toward that trajectory. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. But I, you know, I just love exploring this area of fairies. That's definitely where my heart lies. But um, as I do that, um, I'm looking into all sorts of unexplained and extraordinary experiences and encounters. And, uh, and it just really starts, the jigsaw starts to sort of form a picture of this sense that, you know, there is this mysterious universe and there's just so much that we don't know. So it's really great to speak to someone like yourself who can testify to that that the more they speak to people the more they learn and sometimes it's right there in your family and sometimes like you say you know you chatted to your friend about something and she happened to have that experience she hadn't spoken to you about it before but it was there it was waiting to be told and just by talking about these things it does kind of bring them out and then we kind of learn a little bit more because then we're like oh yeah that's really like this and kind of reminds me of that it's just so interesting I do love it and it makes me think of the old days where people might have been sitting around the fire, you know, <laughs> all telling their own tales. That, that's what it was all about, is it? Right, right. Or, the, or like the ladies right. at the, quilt, the quilting bee, you know, they're all around. Well, the yeah. All, their hands are busy sewing. And if you bring up that, you know, someone saw, saw our dead mama, then everyone's going to start, you yeah. know, sharing stories in the same category. And I'm really that's happy right. to them. Um, to chat anytime and really appreciate you um you know having some time thank you so much it's really great to chat now it's so so much to talk about so let's definitely talk again right we'll have to save some good topics for yes let's have another chat another time look at goblin men, we must not buy their fruits, who knows upon what soil they fed their hungry, thirsty roots. We discussed goblins with poltergeist tendencies, and the two accounts I spoke of were the Silky of Denton, not Harrington Hall, and a poltergeist brownie event in the 1980s, which was originally collected by Colin Parsons in his book Encounters with the Unknown. Both these incidents are described in my show notes about fairies in houses in episode 10 of this podcast. It's entitled Stay or Go. You can find the link to previous podcasts and all show notes at scarletofthefay.com. 
The girl who describes rattling her fairy ball and watching a hand appear from the wall sounds like an invocation. Curious laughter, tinkling bells and strange music are sometimes described by those who encounter fairies. Often they're not able to fully explain the sounds, just that they're otherworldly. I wonder did the strange bell sound resonate with a parallel existence, or was it simply the little girl's firm intention that the fairy ball would have the effect that created the potential for it to happen? The general interplay between us, our consciousness, and these beings and their places of existence gives us much to ponder on. Then there's the sad story of the little boy and his friend in the woods who disappeared when the forest was bulldozed. Shared encounters like this provide an important reminder to protect our wild spaces and local environments. I think of the strong fairy faith that is still present to this day in places like Ireland and Iceland, and how these beliefs serve to protect certain landscapes from development. If these beings are interconnected with natural environments, which seems to be the case given the great number of supernatural encounters which attest to this, not to mention the vast numbers of indigenous communities in which this belief is held, then we're causing untold damage to their places of existence. From this perspective, humankind is truly ignorant in the way it currently treats its home planet. It seems, sadly, they know not what they do. Well, we've reached the end of another episode, and I'm learning so much along with you, dear listener. If you've enjoyed this share, then please consider sharing it with one other person whom you think might enjoy it. And don't forget to check the links for Thomas Freeze on scarletofthefay.com. As I mentioned, there's a bonus episode to follow this one, which is available for patrons at patreon.com forward slash the Modern Fairy Sightings Podcast. Although our explorations here sometimes force us to look at difficult truths about ourselves as the human race, also bear in mind that many more humans are kind, loving and enlightened, and there are plenty of examples of that if we look around us. We're capable of bringing about great change, as so many have done before us in the face of difficult and challenging times, and we will do so again. So keep the faith, keep connected with each other, and always remain curious.